Good morning. Uh, back again so soon. This is Doc Scott's Revival Talk. Today I'm doing Eternal Water. I had a gentleman in church tell me on Sunday, as he saw me drop my bottle three times of smart water, he assured me that not only was the smart water not making me smarter, but it wasn't helping my coordination either. Um, which is very true. I have a, I have a gift. Um, it's called gracefulness. Um, right. My pastor's wife asked me um, why I didn't get out of my seat more and dance this uh, past Sunday morning. And I, I said, well, it really is kind of like a liability issue. You know, like you have to increase your insurance on the on the building and on the people in the building a little bit because um, if I were to um, attempt that, um, it would have to be totally Holy Spirit, like um, taking over my body. Because if I take over my own, it would be, um, it could be catastrophic. I mean, we could take out a few rows of people. I mean, you're talking to somebody that knocks things off the wall standing on the other side of the room. So um, maybe it's my angel, we'll just blame it on him. Although we have several right um so anyway i wanted i didn't know what to title this one today because i wasn't sure where i was going to go with it which is normal because every day i don't know um which is always wonderful um you know we we've talked about i'm you know i'm just gonna you know have some vulnerable places here but we've talked a lot about being seated and it's interesting sunday at the remnant we ended up into a like major um, seating meeting. It was, you know, totally Holy Spirit um, generated. You know, we called it um, the third, um, our joke was it was the third service that we did that morning because the Holy Spirit just kind of took the meeting in different <laughs> ways. <laughs> I love doing church that way. Let's just think about that for a minute. How many times have you gone to church where, okay, I'll just say it this way. I used to have hair until I went to Cerebral Church. And when I went to Cerebral Church where we just do what's, we just get the Bible in our head, this is what happens. You pull your hair out. I mean, you, 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 literally you do for entertainment actually. And um, I would say that our church is not boring at all. Um, that would be an understatement. You know, it's very unboring. But in our third service, <laughs> um, essentially, we got into seating and people spontaneously took a seat at the front of the room and then we all began to pray for them. But it kind of opened up the whole importance of the topic again all over. And it was interesting because for me, the day before, I was... I was pretty much struggling. I was like, you know, I was telling my wife, I'm not going to go to my graduation for my program. I feel really stupid. I don't want to be there. These people all know what they're doing and where they're going. And I don't know anything. And, you know, I had a million reasons why after getting going through a program that I wasn't going to go to my graduation. And then I had a couple people, good friends, of course, Jamie and Kent both. Um, Jamie said I was crazy not to go, and that was true because um, I needed to. It was part of what part of what I needed to do. 
And my buddy Kent said, well, you have no idea what you're gonna release up there as you go across the stage. And that just, I mean, some of those comments, you know, like, and Jamie was like, you've done this. This is part of what you've earned. This is, you have to go, you're supposed to be there. So it was like, okay. But it framed it up completely differently for me when I thought about what I was actually releasing. And I was in that little whiny place, you know, like where I was starting to complain about what I didn't know and all the uncertainty, which means that, you know, usually what my wife says is, she says it this way, um, well, Scott, how would you tell somebody who was in your spot, what would you tell them? And because ever since I went through the whole seating process, I've squirmed in my uh, seat. I've wanted to jump out of it several times. And one of the things that Jamie kind of emphasized on Sunday was this, and it's true. When Jesus was seated, okay, before he was seated, he had the encounter in, with his baptism, where he had his father say, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. He had the affirmation of a father, booming voice from heaven, right? A total securing of his identity. He had to know who he was. This is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. So he walked into the next three and a half years of his life, he knew before he got here who he was, where he was going, and where he was, like where he came from, where he was going. He goes from that straight to the wilderness, right, to be tempted on his identity. Well, it, does the book really say this, the enemy would say? Does he really say, you know, and Jesus responded back with the word. So think about that. When we get baptized into who we are as believers, and we get that first revelation of our identity, who we carry, what's inside of us, right? What it actually means. Every kind of temptation in the world will come against us, right? There's gonna be attack on every front, but it doesn't necessarily always end there. So, from that point, from the baptism, you know, Jesus knows who he is, goes through all this, comes out of the wilderness, and where does he go? Yes, this very large bottle of eternal water. Now we're into eternity. Um, goes into the temple, opens up the, um, the scroll. The scroll is handed to him. It opens up to Isaiah 61. It talks about him where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has sent me to deliver the captives. We all know the whole passage, right? The whole four, Luke 4.18 passage. And then he sits down in his seat, which was the Messiah's seat the seat of authority. And from that place, this is the part I'm going to focus on. When you have your seat question, declare the word of God. Yes, thank you. That's my wife. <laughs> exactly. This is where declaring the word and knowing what Jesus is speaking is, becomes very key. He goes from being seated and sitting down in front of all of them and, and telling the world that this has been fulfilled. This scripture that is prophesied about me is being fulfilled right now. And the minute he did that, they were full of rage. Who is this guy? Isn't he the carpenter's kid? It says they drove him to a cliff 
They were going to kill him. All right. So let's just talk about warfare around your seat. When we are seated and when we come into the place of convergence, which this hour in this era of the church, there is mass convergence going on. The convergence of the ages and the convergence of my life. Everything is coming together right now. And everything that we've done and that we've been a part of, the good, the dark, the light, all of it, is being literally crafted and formed into a place of convergence where all things come together for such a time as this. If Jesus was hated and they wanted to destroy him because he sat in his seat of authority, when he finally came to the place where this is who I am, this is why I came, and this is what I'm here to do. Because he read the scripture that says what he's here to do. We're going to open blind eyes. We're going to set captives free. We're going to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. We're going to do all these things. I have come is what he's saying. And I'm going to do the very thing that I've been commissioned by heaven to do. And the first thing they want to do is kill him. They drive him to the edge of a cliff. And literally, what does he do? Walks right through them. We need to walk right through the accusation and the storm of the devil that surrounds us as we take our seat. And we do that by literally, by, we, by what we declare with our mouth, but literally walk through the middle of it. And if you'll notice, he walked through the middle of the crowd and no one touched him. Because here's the thing that goes with your seat. With your seat is an assignment from heaven, and you will live and declare the works of the Lord, and you will live from that place of being seated, and no one on heaven, not heaven, on hell, or any devil or any person can take you from that seat. That's why there is a huge fight to get to the seat. How many people prior to figuring out who you really were and sitting in the seat of authority of heaven and the place that you were created for. How many of us have cried out, I want to do the thing that I was made for. And then when you get in that spot where you're totally secure and you totally know this is where I belong, this is what I was made for, everything in my life has been leading me to this place right now for such a time as this, that the darkest things in my life, the lightest things in my life, the things I saw as a mistake, the things I saw as a derailing, all of those things that God has wasted, none of them, and suddenly I'm here in this place ready to take my seat and to walk into the thing that I was created for. How many people out there had your lives annihilated before you ever got there? I hear stories every day about the war that goes on to get us to the seat. Why? Sorry. Because the enemy is terrified. He's terrified about you getting in yours for the same reason he was terrified about Jesus getting in his. Because he knew that when Jesus got in his seat, the war was over. 
the war was over and it's still over because he won it and accomplished it already. And us getting seated steps us into the war to access and apprehend everything that has already been accomplished on the cross. And that's why the enemy never wanted you to get in your seat to begin with. How many people had the perfect storm from hell come against you and the years that preceded you coming into the place where you knew who you were, where you were seated? Come on, raise your hand. Right, right. All right. So, good news. Once you're seated, no one's taking you out. The enemy's not taking you out. A person can't take you out. Not unless you just get up and give it away. Challenging news, which is still good news in the kingdom. Once we're seated... And we're in our place of authority. We are sitting in the very place that God created for us, that we are in the spot where everything is converged, which it is right now, into a place where we are created. We, we're coming into the thing that we were created to do. And we've talked a lot about this, how, you know, many of us have done a lot of different things along the way. But it's never been the very thing that we felt like we were created. We felt like we were supposed to be soaring and we were, post, we were supposed to be living in this other place. And we've done things kind of like the life of Joseph, right? He went through years of being imprisoned before he got out. Many of us have felt like we've been imprisoned or on a shelf, right? So it's like there's been a lot that's gone on. But when you finally get in the seat, what happened to Jesus, it, it, we're not exempt from. The devil gets really, really angry, and then so we think that now that I'm seated, this is where I was living. Now that I'm seated, okay, everything needs to start rolling, rolling, rolling. Let's get it up. Let's line it all up. It's If there's a pregnant pause <laughs> and the time that you're seated and the things you begin to see breaking out, it's okay. Because what Jesus is doing is he's settling me into my seat. And he's establishing me in it. And there, the seat is often wider and bigger than what we currently carry or move in. Because there's, there's going to be room to grow in that seat, okay? And if the enemy tried to take Jesus and throw him off a cliff when he got seated in the Messiah's seat, it just tells me that we will go through some of the same things because the enemy's hopping mad. But look at the next three years of Jesus's memory and tell, of life and tell me um, if the devil won. If you don't know the answer to that, the answer is um, no, he did not. Jesus' kingdom ruled and reigned in the same way that it rules and reigns today except that we're the ones that are part of that equation of establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. To see his rule and his dominion over the planet and the authority that we carry to walk into that place. And so there's a war, okay? The enemy is going to try to slap you with your identity. I mean, most people, when they when we got seated, we realized that all of a sudden there was this war. And there was. There was for me. 
You know, are you sure this is who you are? You made a really big mistake. You were already on this trajectory because the Lord, I mean, the Lord, the enemy wants to pull me out of a place of absolute surrender and where I've given my utter and absolute complete yes. He wants to move me off the yes in my heart and the surrender in my heart and get me back into religion and my plan. That's his goal. Because being seated is not religious at all. Because we finally sit in the place that we belong and we're actually doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing. And so, and we have the authority of heaven backing us up to do it. And the enemy wants to move us out of that place because being seated means that I have committed myself to a lifelong adventure of absolute radical surrender where my agendas, my timelines, my trajectories of my own heart and mind and how my path goes are forever submitted to the Holy One as I am in that seat. Being seated means that I have, I have literally chosen to live in the holy chaos of heaven and to live a life surrendered and walking in the unfamiliar as my new norm. And the enemy comes in like a flood. People, when people get seated and they finally come into who they are, I don't be surprised when you see temptations, when you see stuff in your heart that's coming up that you didn't know was there, because the enemy's throwing everything at us that he can to try to get us out of our seat. He doesn't have the power to remove you. The only way that you come out of that seat is if you jump out of it yourself. And even then, the Holy Spirit's going to move heaven and earth to throw you right back in it. So we just, need to, we just need to know that part of that war is normal. And here's the thing that is even more normal. The day that I, shortly after I got seated, I had that encounter that I talked about in church. Where it was like, the, you know, Jamie was talking about how the, the, the veils are thinning. The veils are going away. The veil, the, the veil between heaven and earth is really thin. And literally, um, that some of the veils that are over us are ones that we've created. And those are things like our own disappointment, our things that didn't happen in the past for us, um, our own sin, you know, things that are blinding us. And in that service, he said, that Jesus wants us to rip the, the veils of, that we've created that keep us from knowing who we are and sitting in our seat, that he wanted to rip those because there isn't a veil, that the veils that we encounter are the ones that we've created. And in that service, I had, you know, the thing that God has kind of been after in this and it's why this whole baptism in the waters and what's going on at the Remnant and at um, Dawsonville is so profound is this. Because in the water, the water becomes an extension of the altar. And when people literally proclaim publicly 
what they're struggling with, their sin. And that's what's been happening. It happens in every revival. Every revival, there's a public declaration of sin and brokenness. And what happens in that public declaration is he takes us out of all of our hidden places. And he confronts every part of our heart because habitation requires a clean vessel. There is no, we can have visitation, but habitation requires a clean vessel. That there has to be something that is, the vessel itself has to be clean. So in revival, we have desperation, then we have repentance. Why? Because repentance clears the vessel for habitation. Okay. So knowing that, that that's an absolute prerequisite, I'm going to tie it to this last part. On that Sunday morning, I gave the Lord my final yes. It was like, if you want this, you know, we always have something. Whether it's a habit, whether it's an attitude, or a part of our heart that we've locked off and kept over here kind of compartmentalized, right? Well, I gave him the compartmentalized part. And I said, okay, it's yours. Which means he got my final yes. And in that moment, Jesus literally, in my vision, stood in front of me and ripped the veil right in front of me. And he said to me, I need you focused. And then he said this, and this is where I'm ending, and this is the part I've been going for. He said, and when I read it in this book yesterday, I was floored. He said, my still small voice is as big as and powerful as the voice, my voice that thunders from heaven. My still small voice, because here's what it takes to live in holy chaos. I love it when Jesus, he's going, we're gonna have dreams, we're gonna have visions, we're gonna have supernatural revelation. He's not taking that away. It's all part of the equation. But in the midst of all of that, the thing that we have to be able to rely on when the rubber meets the road, when we're in the cauldron and we're in the middle of the battle, is the still small voice. And it is as powerful as any vision, as any prophetic encounter, that still small voice is still the way that God leads his people. And we know it. And so he was letting me know that that is the place, the way I walk into the holy chaos of revival is I am seated and my ears are peaked to the still small voice of God. If we're living there, we don't have to worry about blowing up the habitation of the Lord because we will be moving where he's moving and doing what he's doing as he leads us from the inner witness of the still small voice. I'm reading a book on tongues, and I'll have to tell you the name of it later. I'll put it, I'll post it later. Um, because one of the things, and this is where I'm going to wrap, the Lord always says to me in all of this, is pray in tongues, pray in tongues, pray in tongues. And I'll tell the part of the story another time. It started with the 30-day challenge that I issued to the church to pray in tongues 30 days. Now it's become a lifestyle. We're literally for hours every day in the middle of car, of school, whatever, I'm praying in tongues. 
And what he was saying about that was that it activates the supernatural. It just does. It just does. I don't have to understand it all. But I'm asking you and, and appealing to you and saying, if you aren't already using that prayer language all through your day, go ahead and engage. I double dare you jump off that cliff. Most people think I'm just rehearsing my grocery list in publics. Right? They think I'm just doing that, right? Well, I'm not. Also, he told the story in the book, and I'll post the name of the book. It's about, it's called the, um, the Glory Within is the name of the book. And he talks about the story about Kenneth Hagin. When Jesus, when it was a very trying time in Hagin's life, Jesus literally walked into the room. I want that, so we just claim that. If you do it for him, we pull it down from heaven for us, right? Walked into the room, talked to him for over an hour about the prophetic movement, about um, seeing in the spirit, about everything, and you know all, all these things that pertain to Christendom and the Christian life. The prophetic movement, um, what God's doing in healing, I mean, uh, the, the fivefold ministry. All, he just had this big, long conversation with Hagen. And then on the way out the door, he turned to Kenneth and he said, I'm not going to be speaking to you anymore after this encounter in visions, dreams, and revelatory experience. I'm going to be speaking to you in my still small voice. And, it, and he said to him, or the author says, he used these words, and this is what got me lit, because that still small voice is as big as the voice of God that booms in the clouds and the thunder. And most people reading that story, the author says, get a little disappointed. But it's like, well, wait a minute, you just told Kenneth Hagin you're not going to be doing dreams and visions anymore with him. And I'm not saying that's what he's saying to us. What I'm saying is the point he was making was that the still small voice, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, is the greatest navigation tool that we will ever have in our life. It's why he came and that we will be led from that place more than any other place. And it's why we have to know that still small voice. This is in a book about praying for tongues, so praying in tongues. So let's make the correlation. If tongues activates supernatural in me, through me, and around me, why would I not give myself to praying in tongues as much as possible? I can do it with my mind being fruitful and my spirit just praying away and my mind can be on a track that is going wherever and I can enter into things. I could begin to vision things and pray for them in tongues. I'm just saying the still small voice of God is the way that we navigate. Once we're seated and we are in the seat of our authority, like Jesus when he took the Messiah's seat, once we are seated, the devil and a person cannot rip you from it. And you and I, it is critical that we know and acquaint ourselves 
even more so with the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Because in holy chaos, we have to know, which is revival, right? He brings us into a place of disorientation where we cling to him and we walk in unfamiliar paths and unfamiliar territory. It is the still small voice of the one who made us that enables us to navigate in this revival and in life. It's the thing that lets us know every heartbeat, every whisper, every breath from the Father's mouth and every nuance in the shifting wind of the Spirit. Still small voice. So Father, I thank you that we're seated. And if you're not seated, we'll talk about that. You need to go ahead. I thank you that we know the cost of being seated. I thank you that the enemy cannot steal my seat, that a Jezebel cannot steal my seat. I thank you that as a seated one, I have everything that I need and all the grace of heaven backs me up in this seat. And I thank you that your still small voice, along with every other way that you communicate in revelatory ways to us, will guide me. And I thank you for the visions and I thank you for the encounters with heaven. I thank you for seeing in the spirit. I thank you for all of those things. And I repent for all of the ways that I've taken those things for granted or even anything in the kingdom for granted. But I thank you, Lord, that you have let me know and us know that we as sheep know your voice. Therefore, comma, we will never be led astray as long as we're listening to that voice, your voice from heaven. Blessings, guys. See you tomorrow, 6.30, Revival Prayer. Back on at 7 for Revival Talk.